One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Include, but it's not later. Talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the junk that follows this song. But hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Crystal Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired. And their time is up. So here's the Knights of Vader. Most impressive. A big thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is January 18th, 2023. My name is Zach Weber, and joining me today is Chris. I am happy to be here because I was pleasantly surprised by some B-team action. <laughs> and we have Omega's number one fan, Joe Yazo. My bow and arrow is in the mail. I'm going to get it along with the helmet. <laughs> I know what I'm going to do for Halloween this year. I wonder if there's like a 501st like cosplay template for Omega. Like that has to be something that, right? Like somebody has to like force their child to for, like force that character on them. Or some 50-year-old man. Ooh, ooh, that conjures up a beautiful image right there. Yes, folks, we are here to talk about Star Wars content. And I really can't think of a better use of the word content because it just feels like uh, the star- the good old Star Wars machine out back, the Disney Studios, they, they gave it like a nice little, they took the monkey wrench and hit it a couple of times. And it just started working. They didn't check the output on it, but something started coming out. So really the two biggest pieces of uh, noteworthy news, we have the Mandalorian Season 3 trailer, which half of that 90 seconds is simply just regurgitated footage from other pieces of marketing for this third season. And we have the first four episodes of the wild bunch. And I don't know, gentlemen, like seems like, again, it's something, like I said, it's, it's content they're throwing out there, but nothing particularly juicy by no means a stake at the rainforest cafe. I was pleasantly surprised that they actually went away from pod racing and they did that other thing in the show, even though I'm skipping a, far away <laughs> it's like off-brand pod racing yeah joe's happy that it wasn't pod racing there's an episode of droids you might like <laughs> i didn't i didn't have like a uh, flashbacks of phantom menace joe said joe saw it the, he watched like a minute of that race and he was like now this is not pod racing <laughs> definitely not pod racing <laughs> i don't okay we're gonna, we're gonna go right to bad match um I don't know. Like, I, I didn't mind this fourth episode. Like, out of the four episodes we've gotten, it's probably my second favorite. I, I, like, the Count Dooku castle stuff sucked. Like, it had no value. The Commander Cody thing was interesting, considering that, like, it does put forth an interesting notion that, like, the, the thing of, like, oh, the clone troopers are better than droids, but they also have a soul, so they have to live with what they did, which ties into Rebels, the whole thing between Rex, Wolf, and Gregor to a lesser extent. It's it's an interesting layer on top of that. Again, more provocative than entertaining. And then I like the fourth episode of The Bad Batch. I like not pod racing. I like not proxy piloting the not pod racer. It it was again. I it reminded me of solid Saturday morning cartoons. Like I could very easily imagine as a kid, like being excited on a Saturday morning 
getting like breakfast, sitting in front of the TV and watching this and being like, oh, well, that was a pleasant filler episode. Like it was like, oh God, like Trader Joe's quality, like canned pie filling. Like, oh, like clearly I wouldn't choose this as a meal, but considering there's nothing else in the cupboard and I'm hungry, I'll take it. Like, again, it, it's serviceable. I'll take at this point, serviceable is the bar for success. It felt like Star Wars, unlike watching Calrissian Endor build like TV sets for 90 minutes over the course of a month. I think there's I think there's something to what you're saying because I was Full disclosure, I tried watching the first episode of The Bad Batch when it premiered. And like after about two and a half minutes of like giant crabs chasing them, I was just like, yeah, I got to like actually do something. <laughs> but And then I and then I hammered all four episodes like before we recorded today. And I I don't know. I got to say, like, aside from that opening, like 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 crab assault, like I liked the the first sort of two parter. I think uh, Admiral Rampart's like kind of becoming slightly more interesting than he was in the first season. He's like he seems like less of a joke. It's it's kind of cool uh, when he when he, I don't know man when he like shot when he shot uh, Wil- Wilco I think it was like off that that balcony at the end of the second episode. I was genuinely surprised by that. I thought that was pretty wild. And and I was also, it just fit really well, you know, because he's asking him to falsify a report. And it's like, you know, these guys just like started shooting on their generals on a dime. Like he, he he's not going to break procedure like that. So it, it sort of felt right that he wasn't going to falsify a report. And I, I don't know. It's weird that you say you're putting so much emphasis on four to me because like, I thought three was just like insane. And that's by far my favorite one. Four, I was like, four, my eyes were like lodged thoroughly upwards towards my brain the whole time. But three, <laughs> three, I thought was really good. Well, the, on the on the flip side, we could have seen what Hunter and Echo were doing. Oh God! So I'm I'm glad that we got not pod racing instead of. Doing but there a- wasn't even there wasn't even any Hunter, Echo, or Omega in episode three. It was awesome. No, and. What was it? Nerf nuggets that they were they were transporting. <laughs> soon to be soon to be available at Galaxy's Edge at the I know. at the cantina. Oh, well, you mean like in the cargo crates, or what are you talking about? Yeah, they were on a mission to transport Nerf nuggets. That's episode four when they they were actually the exact Republic credits that come in the garbagey Mandalorian credit collection. Yeah. The little rectangular credits, whatever whatever planet they're from. I think we got an Easter egg to to episode five. <laughs> it's gonna be Hunter and Echo's amazing journey. It's gonna be like, dude, where's my car in space? Yeah. <laughs> I will say that like, is it me or is Hunter the worst character in the show? Like he is anno- like it's becoming to like an annoying level. Like even the token goofball characters, they're all like intentionally like two dimensional. Like and again, going back to episode four, like I liked Teak and and Rekka. Like at least they're being at least they're being used in a way that's as Chris would put it, inoffensively. Like I did not ha- like watching episode four. I didn't hate any of the characters. Like you watch the first two episodes and like you have Hunter being like Omega, you can't do that. It's like. Like, no, like, like, it's like, oh God, off brand Rambo, please. Like, please let him just die saving them. Like the whole group, please. The first three episodes kind of like, there's a little bit of actual tension there where you're like kind of worried about some of them. And then in four tech is like 
literally winning a race and like waving to a massive crowd on television and it's like they're just like hiding <laughs> from the empire like the day before and he, and they literally like call his name out over the intercom <laughs> they're like tech wins the race and like i mean it, can you imagine Admiral rampart seeing video of tech winning a race after like the raid and just finding out that they're like still a wall somewhere like that would be funny I think, but but I think they're like I think what's good again. I have no idea where season two is going. Obviously, it's gonna be like like the first season where it's gonna culminate into like a, a giant Easter egg the size of a mountain. But I th- I think it's the same thing that it's the Vader Emperor thing from Kenobi, where it's like the Empire just isn't concerned with them. It's like what are they gonna do? It's it's the arrogance of the Empire. Again, we're gonna slowly again we're baby steps into into the rebellion. Like I, at some point, there's gonna be like, again the whole thing with um. Echo being like, we're more than just like mercenaries and smugglers. Like, again, it's good to go into that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that th- this season has to end with either like a clone rebellion or it's going to be like just, oh God, like the clones are going to be the foundation to the rebellion. Like, Emphis Nest solo level. The Empire is a little bit concerned with them because like Rampart doesn't want to get get fired by Tarkin if he finds out that Clone Force 99 is still out there. So like that's more incentive than some things. And like, you know, they really got to just I know they're like painting their armor up all cutesy and stuff, but they really got to just lose it. Like imagine if after escaping the Death Star, Han and Luke just can carried on wearing Stormtrooper armor for the rest of the original trilogy. It's just a <laughs> weird decision. <laughs> It's just mine now. <laughs> Some poor like oh god, enlisted man has his name written in the back of the plastic mold. You know, it just draws unnecessary attention at some point. You know, I don't. I don't again, like I, but this is the difference though, and this goes back to the point you're always making, Chris, about like this versus like Andor. Is that this is a cartoon? It like they're not again. It's a cartoon where a guy just got shot in the back of the head and fell off a balcony. <laughs> exactly it's called we like to call that in show business tonal inconsistency like again they, they they don't know what their demographic is for this like it's like it's so again you have a bunch of adult men on a wednesday night dissecting something that we're putting more thought into it than a group of executives making hundreds, if not millions of dollars a year. But, but the thing is, this is like, I was, that, it's funny that you're saying that. Like when I was watching the first three, especially, I was like, if this was like, even if it was like totally done with like a bunch of volume, like if this was like a live action show, it would be the most insane one we've gotten by far. Well, yeah. Like it's so, it feels so much more intentional and thought out than even Kenobi did. Like the first three episodes of this. Exactly. It's so crazy. But I don't know. Like that's where, like, again, as I'm watching this, it feels more tonally in line with the Book of Boba Fett. Like this feels like a show where they would like get like a a a craft and then like throw a seismic charge down the Sarlacc. Like it feels like you could very realistically see Wreck and like Omega being like, "We have to save Hunto from the Sarlacc." And it's like, and Wrecker's like, "What are we gonna do?" And Teek's like, "We do have a seismic charge," and we see like Wrecker trying to like pick it up and like detonate it and like kick it out of the back of a ship. Like, I don't think I, so. I think there's more subtlety, especially in like the third episode, like. They're, you know, they're going through the town. They're having these awkward interactions with civilians about like, you know, we're the good guys. Like, you know, like it's just like Boba Fett's out there like throttling like rat keeping droids and stuff. Like it's, it's just, it's, I don't rat catcher droids. Like it's, 
I don't know, man. There's 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 more ideas going. I hear it's exactly what you're saying. Nuance. I think I think what you're looking for is that there's nuances to to the ideas behind it. Like Book of Boba Fett is a superficial show. Like there's no idea to that. There's no you don't get a good look at civilization across the galaxy and like in these shows, like especially Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett's like a trailer park on Tatooine. <laughs> there should be a great most like, like Chris, you remember back in the days on Star Tours, they used to have the posters for like Endor, yeah. Hoth, Tatooine. There should be one for the most Espa. It's like the galaxy's trailer park. <laughs> yeah. Especially uh Especially Cobb Vance Town. Brightly colored Vespas. Goddamn teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> Which is more oh, 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 first question. Which is more cartoony at its core? The not pod racing from episode four, season two of the Bad Batch, or the Vesper Chase with the the mayor's aid in the book of Boba Fett? Which is more cartoony at the end of the day? I mean, this was just like a remake of the pod race and i th- and even one of the pod racers is there basically if it's not him yep. it's the same like now, i thought that too we have to go feeling. find we have to go find a visual yeah. dictionary yeah this this was just like here's some more pod racing and man that gamorian when i saw that gamorian guard who's okay so there's like a neil scanlon like crime boss <laughs> who's like <laughs> this big orange dude and he has like a gamorian guard crony and like when I saw the Gamorrean guard, I was all like, this is the weirdest thing. Cause like I didn't, cause the Gamorrean guards in the book of Boba Fett, like didn't resonate with me as being Gamorrean guards <laughs> to this degree. Like I saw this guy character and I was like, man, I have killed a lot of Gamorrean guards in video games. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I saw this. It just iconically looked like Gamorrean guard in a way that the book of Boba Fett Gamorrean guards do not. But but I've also been watching Let's Plays of Mysteries of the Sith recently, and it's just Gamorrean Guard carnage in that game. It's crazy. Well, in the defense of the Gamorrean Guards from Boba Fett, they were on a they were on a cleanse. So, well, they, you know they they were left left without a um, like a caretaker in an abandoned palace for two months, so they slimmed down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were on the keto diet. Diet. Exactly. Tatooine edition. It is a trailer park. They're just eating like Funyuns and the uh, grape juice. <laughs> Fritos. <laughs> the bad junk food, like not even the delicious kind. Just like, again, going into the cupboard and getting whatever's there. Yeah, but I mean, but but seriously, like that the third episode had a lot going on, like holdouts sort of like independent, like the Sweden of the galaxy is getting trying. They're trying to the Empire is trying to take it over and claim it. <laughs> I mean, it's not you don't you don't see it's just you, it's a relatively small city, but it's cool to see like uh, the, the attempt at sort of installing an imperial governor. And, you know, the the current governor is just like doesn't make it out of the episode alive there's weird stuff with the citizens like sort of accepting or not accepting the takeover. The whole idea of using like a garrison of battle droids that were like off the network. Like that's, I don't know. I love the sort of like the siege of the city, like versus the like 50 battle droids and, and the, the droid because like it was all good stuff, man. That episode was awesome. Again, I think the ideas of that episode are good. I think like, Oh God. Just the the action. And I don't mean that like in a literal sense, as in sh- bang bang uh, laser shots. I mean like just like oh god, when it's not. I don't know. Like it felt like a, a boilerplate Clone Wars episode, but I get what you mean. It's it's an interesting notion seeing the the Empire very early on going in doing its thing, being like okay, yeah, 
there was a 300 scene where basically like you basically they like threw the uh, Xerxes emissary into the pit and said this is Sparta <laughs> but that was off camera but it took it right <laughs> up to that point <laughs> and the, the thing I think is a bit weird though is like I kind of wish they hadn't introduced those like like generation zero stormtroopers yet because it's it's so weird that they're like running like clone garrisons alongside those just doing different things it seems way too early for there to be like stormtroopers and i know they're not quite stormtroopers but this is still like maybe a year after order 66 right it's like when it, it's weird that they're already like they, they sort of have two separate factions operating at the same time with different loadouts it's kind of weird but like the thing that's interesting, and this is always this is a new idea that Chris has really introduced me to, is this like juxtaposing like different media in the same time period, and I, I'm still I slow I, I'm savoring it like a fine wine. Just that initial Vader comic book series, and like where I've left off is his like like oh god the Imperial invasion of Moncala, and you have like all this stuff happening where like. They're oh god, Vader and the Inquisitors are invading the planet. Tarkin's like trying to do like some weird like not orbital orbital bombardment of it, and that's the thing. I I think the Empire and again, this is whether Lucasfilm's intentionally doing or not. We'll never know. It's just the Empire is just doing whatever it wants, and that's what makes the idea of Palpatine just like I, I don't think Palpatine's policing any of this. Like it's just he's put a bunch of bureaucrats in charge that are just. He's keeping the subordinates busy. It's busy work. Like it's conquering the galaxy, but like we all know Palpatine's doing other things. Like I I, I don't know. Cause like even in the comics, Palpatine shows up obviously often with Vader and he just chastises him every chance he can. It, but this doesn't seem like anything. I don't know. Like Palpatine would care about like, okay, destroy the, uh, the cloning facility on Kamino. I think that's not a Palpatine idea. That feels like a bureaucrat's idea. You're you're making you're making some good points. I think that we are sort of due a, a Palpatine master plan that's more interesting and more important than uh, than what's the, what was the what's the operation from Battlefront Two where he's like in the Sentinel robot like that. That's not good enough. Operation Cinder. Yeah. Yes. Thank yeah. You. That's not good enough. Uh, the Snoke project's not good enough. He had to have had a grander <laughs> plan. He had to have been had a more interesting project. It has to involve like something like it has to involve the unknown regions or something. Like there has to be something more interesting that he's doing while he's not paying attention to all this other stuff. Isn't it? But but like, isn't his whole plan? Like, and this goes back to like the early like rumors of episode nine was like Palpatine just wants like the body hop into people. Like that's why he's always, like, even during uh, the throne room in Jedi, he's antagonizing Luke to like, you will strike me down. Like he wants to body hop. And that's why like Vader, like Vader becoming like, like, oh God, a roasted marshmallow is the thing is that like he cannot body hop into him. Like, isn't, isn't like, I don't know. It feels like that's what the, all this has been going towards. Is that like even the, the Operation Cinder Sentinels? Like, it's the idea that like Palpatine wanted to like embody a new young host body. Like, I, I don't know. I wonder, like, I gotta like brush up on if like Lucas has ever provided commentary on Palpatine suggesting that Luke should strike him down. Like, is it, is it really just that it, that would be like the ultimate uh like fulfilling of like 
the worst possible thing that could have happened. And that's just like his goal at all times. Like, like Luke just becoming like an absolute monster and taking his place as the emperor of the galaxy. Like, is that, is just the idea of that happening good enough for him to die? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, I don't, okay. If we're going to go back to like Lucas interpretation of star Wars, I would say almost assuredly, no, like Palpatine's meant to be like the personification of evil. He do, And when he says that, does he know that Luke can't do it? Like because because of the implications, mm, I don't. Th- again, I, that's the thing about like where Palpatine. Like we always talk about like Luke being space Jesus and like Ahsoka. Palpatine's like space Satan. It's that like he's the little like guy with like the little pitchfork, plastic pitchfork, and like little red antlers well, on your that, shoulder. That's the thing though. He's been so built up as like an important space Satan that like merely having control of the galaxy is no, is not like it was good enough in 1983 that that was his like ultimate end all be all finish off the rebellion and just like continue to collect tax money for the rest for another 50 years. Like that was good enough then, but now he's like so mystical that it's like, there had to be something more like there had to be something he was paying attention to while he wanted Vader to like carry on uh, governing the galaxy and like <laughs> keeping keep the ship running. Like, and I, I think that, but we're, know, we're spending though. so much time in the era where he's alive and we're tap dancing around him. Because I don't, because the thing, again, it goes back to the, like, what I've always been afraid with with Disney Star Wars is that you can't address these things head on. Like, you just can't. Like, it's the, it, it's, oh, God. The shadows are the best thing that could ever happen to Star Wars. Once you shine a light on, like, something rather mysterious, it's like, oh. So that, it's like, oh, how did, I'm, I'm going to take the most just pedestrian low-hanging fruit example is it like how did vader get into the black suit and and it's just like it, it's the i the mystery behind that idea is infinitely more interesting than what the execution could ever be because you i don't know i don't know about that that's a that's a pretty good scene zach and the reason lucas could no, no i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to take no, a but shot the reason he could do that it's just because he was like guess what everyone these movies are done after this. So that's why he was entitled to show that important moment because there was no intention of making Darth Vader a character for 50 years. Like it's, it's like as far as he thought that there would be more stories that actually took place after return of the Jedi, where that wouldn't be something you'd have to deal with. And instead of now Vader's just going to be in every show forever. Yes. When Lucas was doing this, and whether he was licensing it to other properties to do it, like let's let's keep in mind, like there's some really strange thing happening with the consumer products division of the company, but they keep saying like 20th anniversary of clone of the Clone Wars, and yet they keep referencing all the 2008 stuff. Like Clone Wars was always meant to be a toy line first, and then they Lucasfilm licensing realized we could probably sell more merchandise if we had media surrounding it. Like the toy line for that's why if you look at all those like live action Clone Wars figures, the reason why they all look like Attack of the Clones characters because it's legit just like all the oh god um, press shots from like two thousand when they were shooting the movie with like weird like Anakin has like the Obi Wan Jedi Starfighter headset on like it's just it, it's it's there just. Is, is content and maybe bring it full circle back to bad batch but no whereas with lucas lucas was a madman who was just like i'm gonna do what i want there's a great oh god i think it's in the the people versus george lucas 
there's a, a funny moment where it's like, oh God, like I, I can paint my house any color I want it to be. So if I decide I want my house to be a shade of Jar Jar, so be it. Like it, it's that idea that he could do whatever he wanted, even if everybody else hated it because it was a unilateral franchise. I know we need more of that in this world. It's going, it's going the way of the dinosaur. Well, it's the only example we have right now is uh, Jimmy C. Jimmy C is the only filmmaker left that has his own IP and nobody's going to, even Disney is not going to take it, touch it from him. Well, and the reason you know that is because there's like five things in that movie that wouldn't be there if they could tell him to take them out. Exactly. And there's also hardly any cross merchandising. I think there's like a comic book series out right now and like a handful of toys. Oh, there's new, there's the McFarlane toys are pretty good. McFarlane toys are pretty good for Avatar. They look pretty wild. Oh, yeah. But no, but I think, but I think that's the thing going back to like Vader and Palpatine is that like Vader, at the end of the day, Vader was designed as the brute. Like he, he's the Gestapo in A New Hope. He's not the brains. And then because of cultural resonance, he becomes space Jesus. Like it, it, it's, and that's why he becomes the most important character in Star Wars post 1978 because he A, passes the shadow test and B, like instantly becomes one of the most memorable villains of all time, almost on the spot in a way that, oh God, like name a villain in the last, in a, in a movie by Hollywood in the last 25 years that even comes close to Darth Vader. Even like what you would say Voldemort would be the closest approximation you'd have to like a big bad of a franchise. And even that, like nobody cares about him. Yeah, as a you villain. don't take him seriously. Exactly. Even, even after, even after Obi-Wan, I take Darth Vader more seriously than, than Voldemort. <laughs> Oh God. But that, the reason why you take Vader so serious after Kenobi is that imagine if Voldemort's superiors like Vader enough. <laughs> like you've had your fun knocking off. Could you stop chasing this like 17-year-old boy around, please? Like for God's sake. Can we please like I, I we brought it up a lot in the last year, but like can we please just acknowledge that the we get an Ian, Ian McDermott cameo in Kenobi, the last shot of Vader for the entire series. It's just Palpatine telling him to knock it off. Like that is like that. That is so like weirdly it's totally in line with the rest of the series, but like, it's so funny. Like it's like, it's embarrassing. Like it's almost character assassination, but it's hysterical. But that's what their exchanges in return of the Jedi are like. He's like, Vader, I told you to go hang out on that ship over there. What are you doing back over here? Come on. No, but but no, but the thing about it though is that like at least that is shot properly. Like Richard Marquand never got his chance to like I don't want to say defend his Star Wars because like he died shortly after Jedi, and plus Lucas kind of was like, "This is my movie," even though my name is not on the director's credit. But like if you take those shots again, it's very much like when Palpatine is shot, he's in his giant throne room chair, which I think is the what the first time we see him in there. In that, that's the first shot we see of him is him talking to Vader. He never leaves. Yeah, he never leaves that room after the hangar. So, yeah, that's what I mean. So, but isn't that the first chance we? Isn't that the first time we see him in the throne room? Is during that sequence, or am I wrong? Yeah, that sounds that sounds that sounds right. That sounds right. So, someone fact check us. Comment comment down below if that is. Well, not there's the like case. there's like three scenes where he calls Vader back to be like, by the way, I couldn't telephone you this. <laughs> <laughs> okay but I, I whether it is or isn't but like you have how those scenes are shot you have 
Palpatine is like sitting on his giant throne room with the vastness of space behind him. And then we cut to Vader and Vader is not like he's below the stair level. So it's very like you are making, you are, I don't want to say penalizing Vader, but you're shooting him from an angle that every time, usually for the most part prior to that, Vader is always looming in the frame. You're making him very small when he's interacting with Palpatine, which subconsciously is communicating to the audience oh, this guy is more powerful than the guy who, good Lord, like literally, oh God, lopped Luke's hand off. And that's what makes it interesting. You juxtapose that with the Kenobi thing where you have sci-fi channel, like green screen background Vader with like the Windows XP, like screensaver of like lava flowing. And you have like a little like hologram and Vader's like broad shouldered in his like, like discount Sith throne room chair. And he's like, arguing with a little blue like nightlight and like again it's as if the people who make this have no idea how forget about star wars works but just basic filmmaking yes no i like zach i remember like i was beyond convinced that that was like an a badly animated deep fake and then you see this beautiful behind the scenes footage of ian mcdermott in full costume looking probably the most Palpatine he's ever looked. And then what makes it on screen is like a GIF that looks like it was like made by AI art. Yes. <laughs> That's all I can say. I concur. But, but again, getting it back to like Vader and the Bad Batch and like Palpatine, is it like, again, what Vader's doing in the comics is interesting. Cause like they have him doing these really fantastical things. Like I said, like, He's like invading Mon Cala underwater and stuff, which is, again, you've never seen Vader submerged. If anybody wants to look into that comic, it's the one with the cover of him like, oh, God, um, oh, God, Martin Sheen coming out of the water in Apocalypse Now, where you can see like the like he's like slowly emerging from the water. Of course, we've seen Mon Cala. We've seen Mon Cala invaded numerous times underwater, but the first time with Vader. Sure, sure. But like seeing but seeing Vader underwater is like, oh, okay, how does that work? Like, as a nerd, that's just like, oh. Does he have, like, an extra, like, like oh, episode one, like, rebreather on top of his mask? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he has one of those comical, like, um, fish bowls, like, from the Clone Wars. They had them, like, on top of their heads. Uh, but but Palpatine is, like, I, I don't I, – there's no such thing as too much Palpatine, but – He's evil space wizard. Like his whole point is like he's he's the Blofeld. And James Bond can very easily punch Blofeld and kill him. Kill him. Like Palpatine's power, and this is one thing that like again, like God give Rise of Skywalker credit for, is that it actually showed Palpatine like being the all like omnipotent being that he is. He shoots his little like sparkle fingers into the sky and he literally wipes out the galaxy armada. Like he's able to immobilize the entire galaxy starship single-handedly. And again, like, is it overpowered? Maybe, but it's also nine films of like building up to like, oh, this is the most the most evil person to ever exist in the galaxy. This is the power he finally he's finally regained his power he's been chasing for how long? Okay, fair enough. But two of those films, they didn't know that they were building up to that. Sure. Like again, like we'll never know. We're, again, we're what? Oh, we'll know. We know because of we know because of Torval. Because of dr- dr- yeah, we know because of the the episode nine that didn't happen well sure but like i I don't know because this goes back to the thing i've been beating the drum for for three years it's that empire's end book 
where it's explicitly like laid out years in advance. Like this was one idea amongst many they had kicking around. Would you be surprised if Lucasfilm has like a drawer scripts where like it's like the emergency like fire button like under glass? It's like in case of emergency, like pull lever. And they just have a couple scripts just waiting. Like, would you be surprised? I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone involved in the story of Episode Nine. I think I bet maybe one out of a hundred knew that that book had that reference. I don't know. I I think again going back to like 2013 era like Star Wars, where a lot of this stuff was like being brainstormed in real time. I wouldn't be surprised if they have like like oh god like a legal pad with a bunch of ideas on it and like I mean definition just thrown against the wall to see what will happen. I mean, it was Palpatine the whole time was definitely on the pad somewhere right beside dinosaurs. <laughs> it's circled too a couple times. Yeah. Just just to erase any doubt. But again, look at Cobb Vanth. Like Cobb Vanth was a throwaway interlude in those books. And he's become like, oh God, there's like a stupid, I don't know. Oh God, what? I think Russ was talking about it last week. Like there's a Target shirt that says the Mandalorian and it's, the, it's Cobb Vanth in the Boba Fett armor. Like, it's even a hot toy. It's crazy. Well, that's what I mean, though, is that like I think there was more to those aftermath books than we give credit for. Like, yes, Chuck Wendig is a crazy person, but like I think he probably played a seminal role in like 2013, 2014 as to how this was all going to take shape in its like initial concept as to what Lucasfilm wanted to do. Like, again, they clearly wanted a different director for each one of those films of the sequel trilogy. They wanted J.J., they wanted Ryan, they wanted the Madman. And Carrie Fisher dies, and I think it just threw them a creative loop they did not know how to get out of. I think her dying just just shocked them. Like, all I was trying to get at, really, though, is, like, I think they can afford... <laughs> Way off topic. I think they can afford to put Palpatine a little more of a central role. Like, the 2008 Clone Wars, Palpatine is a main character. Yeah, as Chancellor Palpatine and as no good Nick, uh, Emperor Palpatine, evil Sith Lord, like kidnapping babies, uh, fighting Savage Opress, like doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Secret kidnap baby base somewhere. Like, <laughs> like you know, that have they've never played, they've never even played out that plot line to its conclusion. And we're basically watching Clone Wars season nine. No, I, I don't disagree. But I think, but like, I think once you like look at how Palpatine is used in the Clone Wars, you like he shows up when Maul is conquering Mandalore, and it's like him and Savage oppressed that like, oh god, overwhelm any Force wielder characters the moment they enter the room, and Palpatine literally just walks in, wipes the floor with them, like doesn't even just doesn't even oh god sweat a bit, just wipes the floor with them. And that's how Palpatine has to be used when he's not ma- Monster Mash. I think, like, I don't know, even how Rebels used him. Like, think about it. He did show up at the end of Rebels. But he, again, it's the Luke Return of the Jedi thing where he's like the little devil on the shoulder. Being like, allow, allow yourself to delve into temptation, which is what he does in Revenge of the Sith. Like, that whole Mace Windu, Palpatine, Anakin thing is basically the Return of the Jedi thing, but it's Anakin giving into it, where Luke sees what he's becoming with the the robot hand and rejects it. I think, again, Palpatine, 
I, I don't think it was ever intended to, by Lucas to sit there be the, the the most powerful evil person in the world in the universe. He's meant to be temptation and rejection of temptation. I I just think the, like when you're dealing uh, when you're dealing with characters like the 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 bad bunch, it's so it's so tough to sort of find a logical narrative conclusion for these guys because they basically become ineffectual or die before the empire is defeated. Like pretty much like, I mean, I, I guess they keep saying characters survive the entire galactic civil war, even though you never saw them in the original trilogy. But like, it's like these guys have no reasonable prospect of defeating the empire. So like, it would be sort of, I don't know. It'd be interesting if they would actually sort of look at it. Like, like what, like, and they're talking about it a little bit in the, in the first couple episodes, but like, what is it? what does it actually take for them to sort of win their freedom? And they're debating between like going on permanent retirement or fighting the empire even more than they already are, which of course they're going to choose the latter because it's an animated series. But, but there's, you know, it'd just be like, like, I think, I feel like there's enough complex ideas on the table for them to sort of like intellectually tackle, like what it would be to sort of, exit the uh the game board for like these type of characters and like what that would mean but but isn't that simply isn't them exiting the game board just rex wolf and gregor on the atte like fishing for like beetlejuice worms like in the desert like isn't that them exiting the fight it is except for like there's not like there's not like a logical narrative that brought them there they just when rebels they just knew that Several years have passed since we've seen these guys, and we're definitely not going to keep doing Clone Wars seasons. So we're just going to jump ahead and find them somewhere. And like, what makes sense? Like, it wasn't like, like there wouldn't have ended Clone Wars being like, and Rex started fishing. The end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they just they didn't get to end Clone Wars. You know, but it's, it's like that scene at uh, in, in Infinity War where uh, you see Thanos sitting there looking on the side of a mountain at all the all the green pastures. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think, I feel like it's something more like, what was the, was it, which, what was the, um, the member of Delta squad who like started a family when he went AWOL in the clone wars. I, I forget. I was cut. There was a, there was a, you know, there was like a, yeah, he got married to a Twi'lek and they had children. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, that guy was interesting. That, that guy did it better than Rex. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't know like I, again going back to the the bad batch i i think the whole point of all of this in rebels like you said kind of tells us where we're going is that like the clones until oh god they rise up and reject their imp- imperial oppressors will never find peace it's it's the oh god dark knight harvey dent thing you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain and that's like the whole – that is the message of episode three with Crosshair and Commander Cody is that like Cody kind of just looks at all this and is like, like, like what the hell are we doing? And then by the end just kind of walks away and it's like and, – and Rampart's even like, yeah, your commander went AWOL. Like he's not even surprised by it. Like clearly it's something that's happening en masse by um, the commanding officers of the clone army and he's just like – like it doesn't even – phase him that's almost a bit that's the a bit unrealistic part right because it's like if this was like that widespread of a phenomenon they would purge those guys in like two seconds like just all of them like how many are even left they got stormtroopers coming (laughs) 
that, that's what I mean, though. I do think the, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't a clone insurrection. And that's where you find out, like, why Rex, Wolf, Gregor all had to go underground. It was just like, they are hunting us. Like, now the Jedi are gone. They are hunting us. Like, let, it's it, again, let's bury our head in the sand until until yeah. 10, 10 to 12 years from now i think they're i think they're, they're i think that's where the bad batch will inevitably go if it i don't like I, I don't think season three is a confirmed thing even at this point it might who knows right it's got it's gonna run the same length of like rebels it's either gonna run three or four seasons and then they'll transition into another animated series well you know but like you're saying like it's sort of moving up to this like inevitable clone like insurrection but they already stepped on their own foot a little bit because like in canon like i think even in the vader comics you have clones who are like still operating as stormtroopers like years after this well sure like i I don't i don't again like any sort of uh rebellion it's not everybody um like i said i think what some of the like phase one purge troopers are clone troopers so it's i think it's just something like again probably your commander Cody's you're more oh god like that's the whole thing all the clones thought for themselves like like crosshair very much like even like Rampart says like they like how long were you sitting on that platform 30 rotations and still you're committed to this cause like that was great like I that was like one of those things where you don't really like you listen to that dialogue happening that exchange and like a minute goes by and you're like wow that's kind of profound where like the superior officer is like you, and you're still committed to this. We left you sitting there for a month, and yet you came back. Why? Well, yeah, that and and I think by uh, by sh- by just shooting that unarmed uh, governor, I don't. I think they sort of avoided him doing anything specifically that morally reprehensible in the first season. And you know, they sort of ended on Camino with like it seemed like a 50-50 chance whether Crosshair would have left with them almost. And now it's sort of like, yeah, he's just like murdering unarmed people. So like, I think it's safe. Like, you know, like it'll be weird if they try and like go back up that tree after, after what we saw in uh, the third episode of season two. I, 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 I think it was star Wars explained in one of his videos covering all this was that if you think about all the characters of the bad batch, Crosshair is the only one whose like abilities are specifically tied to like war. Like all the like Wrecker obviously it's strength, tech is intelligence, Hunter is what uh, high sense, like high senses, so he can sit there like just detect things, and Echo <laughs> is Echo. Um, there's not there's not much depth to him, but yeah, he's disqualified from the Bad Batch because when you set your blaster to stun, it actually gets less accurate the farther away a subject is, a target is. You know, that big circle beam just fans out. It basically just tickle at 50 yards, so it doesn't really do anything. Crosshair can't really do <laughs> set for stun. But that's what I mean, though. I think Crosshair is like clearly a, a what defective clone with talents that are exclusive to warfare. So he can't transition. Like, like he, he can't use his abilities for other things. And this is how he sees the best version of himself, which is, again, when you're pulling the Star Wars away from this and looking at more on a humanistic level, it's intriguing. Like, what do, what do soldiers do? Again, it's the Hurt Locker thing. 
which is a bigger concept than just simply the hurt locker, just using that as something kind of condensing the idea, is that like becoming addicted to the fight. Like this is somebody that doesn't know what retirement is because what is their life outside of this skill set? Again, an interesting idea. And that's why the Empire can abuse him so many different ways. And he just will just always return to it. It's an outlet for what he's good at. So what do we think? What do we think? Okay, I have to, <laughs> if I have to ask, like we finally got our canon explanation as to what happened to Commander Cody per, post Utapau. Chris is giving a very, very deliberate two thumbs down. Very exaggerated. Yeah. I don't know. I think it, it was it's exactly what you think is going to happen to Commander Cody post Order sixty six. I don't. I don't like this notion that every single clone that has a name deep down just has a heart of gold. You know, <laughs> like it's just like it's just like oh, we saw him in the one movie, therefore he's one of the good ones. It's like he shot at Obi Wan with a cannon. His chip works. Like he, he like he likes <laughs> the Republic and the Empire. Like it's just it's so beyond. It seems so implausible to me that he like on that one mission after that mission he's just like he's going to just go AWOL now like they're genetically like bred to like listen to their orders he's got chip in his brain that didn't malfunction what is going on it's literally just because his name is Commander Cody I I I don't think so like I I know what you're coming from and yes he he clearly carried out his mission his directive we've because what we see him what when Kenobi's like on the platform and overhears them it's like like a couple of the that battalion like discussing what happened to him um after they shot him off the giant iguana I think the thing that Cody makes in this that gives it a little more depth than like than your token clone commanders like whatever the hell his name was, Ballast, Owser from the first season, is that he says the whole thing is that like, okay, like he's he's sent into this generic planet to, to remove its government and install an imperial one, but he's discussing with the governor lady and he's trying to find a diplomatic solution. He's doing exactly what he's told to do. He is removing the current government and trying to install the other one without having shedding any blood, which is exactly what the Clone Wars were. Try to, it's the Anakin thing of aggressive negotiations. You try to talk your way out of it. If not, then you pull a gun on them. And then at the end where him and Crosshair looking at the Vietnam War Memorial, there he's just like – like again, good like crosshair is like saying the ultimate catchphrase of the series, good soldiers follow orders. And he's like, Yeah, but we also but like we also have to think about those orders afterwards. It's like we yes, we have to follow them, but the fallout and the ramifications of this is something we we still ponder on. And that's the thing, is that they they are creatures with a soul, even though they are Manchurian candidated since they were test two babies they they are human beings at the end of the day regardless of whether they were manchurian candidated and i think that's a that, that's an interesting idea you're adding another layer of the clone troopers and zenger here he'd be saying as well like yes it's annoying in how much of the clone wars is them just complaining about their feelings but in that third episode there is some of that, but it's not to like be just like, oh God, laying it on so thick as the Clone Wars did, where they just bicker back and forth. Like in that first episode with like Yoda and the Tordarian, where it's like, sir, we're, we're meant to be expendable. 
And Yoda's like, oh, luminous beings you are. <laughs> it, I mean, it's just it's just anti-Lucas as far as I'm concerned. Because you know what? Lucas gave us a whole bunch of exposition in episode two about how these clones are basically robots. And not only that, but when Order 66 happened, there was no such thing as the chip. They're just like, oh, yeah, we just listened to Emperor Palpatine. Because you know what happened? Emperor Palpatine directly telephoned Commander Cody and asked him by name to fire at Obi-Wan. And that's what he did. <laughs> he said, Commander Cody, shoot that guy over there. And and he just followed the order and he did not have a chip <laughs> because the chips did not exist. But okay, okay. That's also like 2003 George Lucas compared to like, again, he was still in the writer's room for what was that? Uh, the Lost Missions where we get to see the whole thing about the inhibitor chip. Like that is like him and Cowboy Hat Man sitting in a conference room together. Like, is it probably a decade apart? Like in when it was like brainstormed? Absolutely. Like think about it. The Order 66 like inhibitor chip thing from the TV show is George Lucas. Yes, he's George Lucas. But he is in like a conference room with like probably a half a dozen other people that at that point he probably respects ideologically. We're five seasons in. How can we justify that these clones are all not terrible people? But yes, but like, again, when he's writing the script to Revenge of the Sith, it's what, 2002, 2003 at the latest. And it's him alone, like in his little office with the legal pad and like a box of pencils. Like the reason the reason the clones are not good dudes in the prequel trilogy is so that when when Luke blows up the Death Star, say it's not the most (laughs) demented thing ever. It's not the clerk's dilemma of like, like. Because, because all these independent contractors were, were massacred by the rebels. Now I just don't now I just don't know how I feel about it because these clones and stormtroopers are all such people, you know. But again, I think I think it's adding depth to it. Because again, there's no way in Revenge of the Sith you're gonna have a twenty minute subplot about the feelings of the guys in white armor. Like that was never going to happen. Yeah, because they were supposed to be disposable. They, they, they wouldn't have been clones if they if because it changes the narrative big time. Say, for example, the Republic Army was never clones to begin with. It's so much weirder, the whole thing. Because it's like, you're just fighting the Republic citizens, like, in the Galactic Civil War, basically. Like, conscripted, like, people from regular planets. Well, yeah. But again, I... It, it, this all goes back to what Lucas was thinking in 2005 and 2006 when he was thinking about the TV show. Like we'll never, I would imagine probably at least a couple of those um, art of the Clone Wars books that were released 15 years ago. There must be a good portion of that that's delved into what Lucas thought about like the evolution of the psyche of clone troopers during the Clone Wars. Yeah, no, I mean, it's okay. I just, I don't know. Maybe I would feel better about it if it wasn't Commander Cody. I don't know. It's just it's a little too on the nose for me that, oh, he's one of the good ones. All right. I don't know if um, there's a difference between being one of the good ones and just being like, I was sent to remove this this government and the solution is like, oh, this guy they wanted. Like you have this one governor of this planet that is aggressive but being diplomatic. And then like the Imperial guy is a coward. That's like the moment he's released is like kill her. 
What do you mean? Like, like we agreed to like a ceasefire. Yeah, because this is cartoon empire, not Cassian Andor empire. So like, they're just cartoonishly evil. Like, you know, even, but I can see the same thing. Oh, come on. We freaking have the space Nazis kick over the red trash can, put a coat over it to hide a hologram, Chris. Come on. It's the same empire. Not even Dedra would have executed that governor. It wouldn't have happened that way. More valuable as a prisoner. He literally said, shoot her and hang the body up in the streets. Children's cartoon. But that's what happened with the Andor and Andor's father with, with Martha. Like Martha's husband. Yeah. Like Marva. I said Martha. <laughs> it's a script. It's different shades of similarity. They're not one-to-one, but they're in the ballpark. Uh, yeah, but also, uh, like, Cody is not qualified to conduct, like, uh negotiations of like of like seizure of a capital city like he was never like mandated to go there and like start a conference to like get her out of office but that's but that's yes i agree and i think that goes back to the naivete of cody i think that's what made it interesting is that like you're having this guy who's now for a year had to think about everything that he's done or whatever the time frame is since order 66 and he's reflected on it because he's at the end of the day yes Again, he's Manchurian. He's a Manchurian candidate, like the rest of the clone army. Like this is something that, like, like we can go back into the politics and the and the psychology behind brainwashing, but that's essentially what it is. It's like these are not evil beings. They just have a button in them that when you sit there say the magic word, they snap. Yeah, and and that's what makes this interesting. In that, like, you have Cody, who again, like you said, in Revenge of the Sith does not hesitate. Just says. It will be done, my lord. And it's like, blast him. And then it's just like, okay. And a year later, he's had to reflect on everything that he's seen and just how much it's changed. And at the end, again, he doesn't make a heroic, oh God, like defiant stand to the empire like Hauser Ballast did. He j- it's just literally- If Crosshair wasn't there, he probably wouldn't have survived. You know, like, like if someone wasn't there to like take her out, like immediately, like his, like- I think that's that might be, you know, that's part of the justification for why he's AWOL because like, you know, he's already demonstrated that he's like completely useless at this point and like and like and like disobeyed <laughs> oh a direct God. order. So like that's what I mean. I think the fact that we don't see him having that defiant moment of like I have crossed I will not cross this line in the sand when it comes to my ethics and morality and it's just a throwaway line of dialogue where it's like why won't I report why aren't I reporting to Cody and he's like who he's like C56792 it's like oh it's like seems uh, Cody went AWOL last night like it's just meant to be like like okay there goes again another one in the ash heap like this is somebody we were never going to trust anyway he's in the same ballpark as you just and again, I think that's also the Empire taking the situation for granted, which is their calling card for the next twenty years. But is, did he actually go AWOL or did did the guy off him like he did the other one? It would have been on screen. Nah, he'll show up. Nah, they're gonna keep Cody around. That's a good merchandise. And think about it too, like there's really no mention of Cody during Rebels. So I would imagine he's gonna be like probably one of your big sacrifices during some conclusion to to this. Well, I mean, Crosshair just sealed his fate as like dying to save the group because he's now morally reprehensible to the point where he can't live. So he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna somehow <laughs> sacrifice. Oh man, himself. Kylo Ren stabbed Han Solo. Yeah, and he didn't make it out alive. But he became redeemed within thirty seconds of dying. Yes, that's the rule. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I, I, I just like, 
I don't know how much more you can do with the crosshair side of this. Like, we can we watch again crosshair. We already see, saw him be evil in the first season. This time, it's other characters bouncing off him, like finding morality. I just don't know how much further we can go with him just being like, I am murder man, like Empire, just send me where you need people dead and I will do it. No questions asked. Um, I, th- I don't know. I think they could uh, like, I think it's just like you're saying, it's just, it's just how does uh, he interact with other characters? Like, and like, he doesn't have to make like, he can make like intellectual narrative progress without actually like changing his life. And it can be interesting. Like that's definitely my favorite episode out of the four, like hands down. Oh no. Again, philosophically and meant like in stimulating mentally wise, it is the best. Um, again, it felt like classic Clone Wars and it was great that it's only one episode as opposed to like in Clone Wars it would have been like eight episodes long. Like if this was like 2012 or 2013 on Cartoon Network, that would have been like a two month long like episode arc where like somebody would be kidnapped and then they'd be like you said to be some siege and then like, oh, like we could Rampart's going to sit there do like it would have been so like that's the thing I will say like I know we like and I've never understood this going back to like when Clone Wars was canceled in 2013 but like Clone Wars is fun for what it was at the time but it is so drawn out like Bad Batch again they've learned oh god how to pace things better like I will give them credit for that too like having all this in one episode one like 22 minute capsule is so much better than like eight episodes of a bunch of droids and a little frog man like running around the desert so you're saying no series should ever be 22 episodes in a season again? No, I didn't say that. I said you can't do like eight episode season arcs like or the or, or, uh, story arcs. Yeah, that is asking a lot of children. Clone Wars was a nightmare for that. Clone Wars would drag out like, is there like, oh God, like the, the, the Mace Windu Jar Jar. Isn't that like three episodes long? Hey man, Luke, Lucas can paint the walls Jar Jar colored if he wants to. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I okay. Listen. Oh well, okay. God. Well, I think we we probably said most of what we can about Bad Batch. I'm just shocked that I like the first three episodes. Uh, Joe was like talking good. You really like the Count Dooku one? Oh yeah. I, I I thought like I just I liked certain things about it. Like I found it a little bit preposterous that they just like terrorist uh, uh, Dooku's home city. Like like geez, just after you know after listening to Dooku Jedi Lost where they're Yoda takes a bunch of kids on a field trip around around Cyrano and like they're all like checking out like street performers and stuff. And it seemed like such a nice Naboo like place and it just gets mulched. And all you see is like this picture of it like as a pile of rubble. It's just like it's like I guess I'm bringing added context to like some of my enjoyment of of those two episodes that is not there in the episodes themselves because like the one survivor of the city is not terribly interesting. I and I wish I could have saw a little more of uh, Dooku's palace because that interests me. But uh, I, I I liked what I just I liked uh, I liked that the the stuff with Rampart and his whole discovery of the fact that the the bad batch is still out there. I like I, that ending of episode two was like cold blooded stuff. So I was in favor of it. I'm shocked. It really sounds like Joe is like not that disappointed by it, which I didn't even think he was going to watch it. So no, it was it's it's actually gotten a little bit better than the first season because it's not as drawn out. I think they're, they're doing a lot better with tightening things up. They're not drawing it out. Uh, the first season was very drawn out and there's a lot of, 
lot of filler stuff, but they're getting better with making it more concise and easier to swallow. They're listening. They're listening to the podcast. That's why. There you go. All right. Well, like I'm, I'm, I'm I, like, look at that. I took four weeks to start watching it. I think I'll probably watch it as they come out by uh, each episode now. All right. So like, let's, uh, let's get it over with. Let's talk about, uh, the, this Mandalorian season three trailer. Rip off the bandaid. Zach, Zach, uh, Zach indicated that he, he was like rather entertained by it. Yeah, something like I, I will say that I'm already frustrated. I have not watched any of this show yet that we're going to once again get an army of not Boba Fett's like if anybody remembers our Mandalorian coverage from three years ago. Like that was my biggest thing. Like I have never probably in recent memory. I have never been so angry than season one, episode three of the Mandalorian, where it's just an army of not Boba Fett's running around. And it's just like, it's, it's stupid. Like it's just stupid. And it looks like we're going to go like basically do an entire season of the Mandalorian and just have it be that. And I'm just like, oh God, I don't want, like, they keep showing this stupid, stupid shot. And I, I, I don't care how gratuitous I'm going to use that word. Stupid. Of like him like in the back and there's a bunch of just like Crayola Mandalinians and he walks past all of them. And I'm like, no. I, I hope I hope whoever the villain is of season three, whether it be Moff Gideon, Thrawn, whoever, like I just want him to go around just like picking these guys off like one by one. Like in the most just like, oh God, like, oh God, cold-blooded way possible. I don't, I don't like Mandalinians. We got a flashback to the night of a thousand tears and all those K2SOs were shooting at whereas like helmets sitting on the ground. We didn't even get to see any not Boba Fett's get blasted in that nuclear apocalypse Terminator flashback. <laughs> it was really a shame. Oh, good old book of Boba Fett. Um, yeah, I, the, the only thing that I found somewhat interesting in this trailer is that it's weird they're showing Order 66 flashbacks during it. Seems very peculiar. Again? I, you, are they going to show us who saved Big Whiskey? Like, do you think we're actually going to see someone like, p- like picking him up like in a swaddle and running out of the temple with him? Like, think Titanic with Billy Zane. I have a child. I have a child. Absolutely. Like, are we going to get that? Like, it's like it's somebody like, and it's going to be some weird like Jedi character, like the equivalent of uh, Saw Gerrera, where it's like, yeah, remember this character from season two of the Clone Wars? They're the one who saved uh, Big Whiskey. I think it'll be somebody more significant than that because we already have like, there's literally scenes with Ahsoka and Luke separately putting a lot of emphasis on. Why do you want to remember what happened at the Jedi Temple? Something definitely happened there of interest. Maybe you should remember it. Maybe it, it, even though it's like, you know, you were just shot at by like, <laughs> like an army. Like what, what's the significance of remembering that? I think it's going to be a character that is somehow still around. It's going to be yet another Jedi who has made it all the way through the Galactic Civil War because, because like, unless it's somebody we already know who has already died, I think it's going to be like a new player. Is it going to be? Go ahead, Joe. Mace Windu. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. That would, that would, that would give him his de-aged cameo. And then he can, you know, he only has to do one day and then he can say he came back. Is it, well, my, is it going to be Quinlan Voss to tie into Kenobi? I don't think that's known enough to the plebes. Oh, it doesn't matter. Cause 
all it takes is that, and then like there'll be a, like a bunch of the YouTube grifters will show up to sit there and answer that question. It'll be like forty five facts that you need to know about Quinlan Voss, and there'll be like a bunch of like red like circles around like the YouTube thumbnail. That's great, but that doesn't do anything for the audience in the moment while they're watching the show. It doesn't, but none of it does. It could more than Quinlan Voss, the biggest non character of all time, based on an extra who is not meant to be a Jedi. But that's what I mean, though. It would be something if they actually got the same actor. If they got the same actor, and he was sitting there and he came in and did it. That'd be awesome. They de-aged the extra. <laughs> yeah, I know. They de-aged the extra. It'd be wow. That'd be wild. I don't know. But, like, well, again, Chris, you're saying it's going to be an actual character. Like, you, so you think it's going to be a bigger name than what Saw Gerrera was in, like, what, 2016? Yeah, because I think they're putting too much emphasis on it. You literally have Luke Skywalker being like, "What happened that day, little guy? Well, you want to? I can help you remember." <laughs> it's like it's gonna be it's gonna be significant. It's gonna matter for like a plot point, like in the current. Will it though? Like I think it will, because it's like why are we but- why are we why why are we spending so much time looking at it if it's not important to the future of the story? You know, they're they, it's literally like it's they flash back to it couple times in the mandalorian season two if i'm remembering correctly and in the book of boba fett there's way too much emphasis being put on it no it's no it's not in mandalorian it's in it's definitely in mandalorian also because ahsoka causes him to ahsoka causes him to remember it that's book of boba fett no it isn't it's when it's he mandalorian first meets ahsoka she taught she but they reference it, but they don't show footage of it. Well, she's like, I don't know. I, I can't. I, I'm pretty sure it shows. It she, she mentions Order 66. She mentions it because obviously. No, they show it in Book, book of Boba Fett's where we. Well, OK, if, if you want to define those two episodes, the Book of Boba Fett is Mandalorian, which you wouldn't be wrong. I think it's more important that it's like Luke Skywalker, who's like, what? Shock T. It, Chris, Chris, it's Shock T that rescues Big Whiskey. Chris, come on, look over your right shoulder. Look over your right shoulder, Chris. If only. Could you not could you not see them doing that? It's a character the normies would recognize. As much as that would amuse me, it's she's still like not really a character in the sense of like something that would mean something to 70% of the audience. Somehow. Somehow Shock T has died again. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so like. Okay, so you think it's below Mace Windu level, though, in importance? No, I think it's Mace Windu or higher. Who would be higher than Mace Windu? Like Obi-Wan again for no good reason, or like... Obi-Wan finds Big Whiskey, and it's like, hey, Yoda, I found, like, your mini-me, and then punts him down the river? Never mind, it can't be him, because he's, like, on Utapau. Fair, fair enough, it can't be Obi-Wan. Who, everyone who's, like, on a different planet during Order 66, it can't be them. So, like, I think that, ex- that might... Ex- exclude shock t also because like shock t sort of does have a like, canon I, death because she's on Coruscant. She's, she sort of does have a canon death because like isn't it like there's some like hallucination or yeah where you see her get stabbed a vision but that would be that would make perfect sense because you could then tie that into it yeah that's not enough of a i don't think that's enough of a connection i think we're going they're going they i don't know man but think about it too. Even look at what they did with Kenobi in Episode Four, where he goes down to like the dungeon and they have like all the corpses on display. Like none of those corpses were meant. Like th- that's supposed to be cameo central. And unless you are a hardcore nerd, you are not picking out any of those characters. Yeah, well, like only one of them really was a character. That's what I mean, though, because he's also that character is in uh, Dooku Jedi Lost. 
what Master Sinube? Like that's the rest were not characters. Well, no, but yes, like it's just like generic like people floating around. But no, if it's gonna be a high like what's it gonna be? Like okay, you're not gonna like that. Like Syndrolic. Not good enough. Like are we gonna get like again? But are we gonna get like uh, once again DH to Hayden Christensen like fighting like a Jedi Master or like like a swordsman? Like absolutely, because absolutely they wouldn't show. So they show this shot of like four Jedi. It's the same old Obi Wan Kenobi on Disney Plus hallway from the Jedi Temple that they and and Book of Boba Fett. It's the exact same shot, the POV of him like in the little cradle, and like it's a door that's about to open. Yeah, it's like can we go to like that massive hall where there's like giant pointless pillars? Can we go to somewhere more interesting in the Jedi Temple, please? That costs money, Chris, (laughs) and and the and the the volume doesn't know how to render that. Like the budget doesn't allow for that. Well, it did look pretty bad in two thousand two, so I think they probably do at least that good. Okay. But who would the character be though? Like if it's if it's like Mace Windu level, give or take, like who else is there? Who who would be a huge cameo to rescue Big Whiskey? Sifidius. <laughs> How about something like wildly narratively inconsistent? Like Anakin kills everyone around him but spares him for no reason. Because he's technically not a child. <laughs> like he's like He's older than Anakin, so he's not a child. He doesn't have to murder him. I could see it coming down to like some sort of like he's face to face with Anakin and then something weird happens. But like, would it be like Cad? Wait, wait, wait. would it be something like Cad Bane? Like a bounty hunter like like, st- like stumbles into it or something? Or Bo- it's Boba Fett. It's kid. It's Cad Bane has, has snuck into the Jedi Temple before to steal things. I don't know. That That's interesting because. It could be a non-Jedi character. Yeah, because he's on the black market next time we see him. So, like, maybe he was literally just passed around car- from cartel to cartel for, like, f- however many years. <laughs> like, like 25 years or whatever it is. It's Bosk. Bosk does it. There you go. Dengar. I don't think any bounty hunter was going to be making it out of their lives. That's the only <laughs> thing. Oh, man. Cad Bane did it. They got the makeup sitting there. Like they got, they got to get their money's worth out of the the makeup budget for the book of Boba Fett. That shot, that shot really spices up the trailer until you realize it's like our forty eighth look at Order sixty six in the same hallway. It and and then and like and you know like what you're saying earlier. Like I can't believe it, but like I am so checked out of this Mandalorian Mandalorian season. First of all, what do you call what do you call the armor and and uh, Paz Vizsla's little group? Aren't they? I don't know. They have a name in the first season. I forget what it is. Yeah. I mean, these guys are the worst Mandalorians ever. Like, first of all, first of all, <laughs> exactly. It's like, Thank you, you know, it's like, jo- it's like the heaven's gate with no followers of Mandalorians. Like, it's like, they're, it's like they're, they're self-defeating. They make rules that completely disable themselves from being a functional fighting force. Like, you know, they have their best recruit ever. And they're like, what? You took off your helmet one time when you weren't here? Out. And you take that dark saber with you, that that thing that could unite the entire planet. You're kicked out until you go find, I don't know, like ride a dinosaur or something, whatever you're supposed to do. And that's the whole, that's the, that's, that's, that's what Din's going to do. For, that's the big thing of season three that he's talking about in the narration of the trailer. I got to go to Mandalore and, and, uh, and ride a dewback. Ride a dinosaur. And then I have finally redeemed myself. I can finally look myself in the mirror again through my helmet. And I'm, I'm going to be allowed to participate <laughs> in society again. Even though he, we've already had these character moments where he meets Bo-Katan and they sort of poke fun at him for being worried about taking off his helmet. It's like, why do we still care about this helmet thing? The only reason it existed in the first place is because 
John Favreau was like, what's the deal? Why Boba Fett never takes off his helmet in the original trilogy. And then it's like, there was no thought put into that John Favreau and then, but he made a religion around it. And now Boba Fett takes his helmet off all the damn time. So it doesn't even make any sense at all that we're still worried about this issue. Den was supposed to grow as a person by now before like going on a crusade back to Mandalore to like ride a dinosaur. Luckily he's going to at least take all the not Boba Fett's and clear off i'm guessing it's under control of the imperial remnant still or they wouldn't even be bothering to go there so at least you know there'll be some interesting tension between him and bo katan but like the fact that he thinks he needs to redeem himself for taking off his helmet bothers me deeply and makes me uninterested and also john favrelorian is not my favorite character and i'm displeased to see him again exactly well okay is this gonna be because I know, like like you said, like in all the the marketing for this so far, it's just the whole thing. Like I have to go back to Mandalore to prove like my street cred. I think that's gonna be your first like two or three episodes, and then it's gonna transition into like the plot of the season. Well, it's all gonna revolve around that planet. No, I I agree, but I think that's gonna be your like stepping stone into like him realizing he has to lead Mandalore. That that's going to be the him taking his steps into that world. And I have a feeling this season, considering that we know like Ahsoka is gonna be its own thing that's kind of tied to this time period. And that like I have a feeling this is gonna be like the Iron Man 2 of like Star Wars. Like going like of like the TV stuff. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a springboard to like like, oh, like, like are we are we gonna finally like, clearly after their mention of Thrawn in season two. That has to sit there. He has to, I don't want to say physically show up, but he has to be Thanos Avengers level where like it's Moff Gideon being like, I'm so sorry to fail you, my Lord. And it's like the Zenger thing of perhaps. And like, as he turns like profile to the camera and we see like, he opens his eyes and they glow red smash cut to like the Mandalorian will return in the Avengers. Like it's going to have to be something like that. It's going to have to be a springboard to be like, oh, you got to watch Ahsoka next if you want to know what's going to happen. I think that Mandalorian interlude in the Book of Boba Fett is what a lot of this is going to be. It's just going to be like they want you to be watching this stuff as religiously as the Marvel people do. They don't want you picking and choosing what you're eating. If you didn't watch the Book of Boba Fett, this trailer pretty much gets you up to speed. I must go back to Mandalore to redeem myself. (laughs) I don't know. Exactly. It's It's... It, it's for those people who forgot to watch the book of Boba Fett a couple of weeks or stopped watching after two episodes of silliness. But, um, after he got slave one back to like, you know what I've had, I, I'm, I'm happy where we are with this character emotionally. How dare you? There's nothing in this trailer that gets me excited, but like, it's like, it, again, it's the, it's the, the Lucasfilm thing of like in my euphoria of getting new star Wars marketing, I forgot just how terrible they are at marketing star Wars. Like this is a company that does not know how to sell its products properly. It's just, this is the least interesting time period to go to Mandalore. You know, like I just like, eh. like was there going to be like, what, like a Moss Moff Gideon level garrison guard in the place that Bo-Katan is going to kill in like two seconds. And then, the first teaser kind of implied that Bo-Katan like kind of goes crazy and like might become like a quasi like temporary antagonist. Like, I don't know. That's mildly interesting, I guess. But Bo-Katan for pretty much her entire existence in Star Wars has been like a two, like a second tier, like antagonist. Like even during what season two of the Clone Wars with like, uh, 
oh god um oh god the og favrelorian it, it's it, it's the same thing we're like she- uh, how could you forget that his name is pre vizsla and paz vizsla <laughs> get it <laughs> come on they should have called him post vizsla like if they were truly clever that's what they should have called him they, well they they just knew that 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 would just make several people lose their minds so they couldn't do it <laughs> Lucasfilm can't troll the fans too bad, too directly. Oh my god, someone might not, might, someone might cancel their what? Speaking of a uh, re- rehash of figure molds, their 18th uh, Paz Vizsla figure. We can't have that. Paz Vizsla is like, he's like the new sleazebag Ono. Like he, that, like, it's just like that on the nose. And, and, and it works so, and he's like a way worse character too. It's crazy. But I, I, I don't know, man. Like I, um, because even that one comment from one of the, uh, the not, the uh, cowboy hat man, X wing pilots, like he's like, oh god, addressing some character we don't know, and he's like, there's something out in the darkness. You will not be prepared for it until you prepare now for it. And clearly, again, and there's even the rumors going around. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear this. They're like, like Moff Gideon's running around with a bunch of like Praetorian guard. Um, supposedly. So they're, they're clearly walking toward a direction of the first order. Like that's every season. The Mandalorian has its like little drip, drip, drip of the first order coming. I forgot the one thing in this trailer that, uh, that like actually genuinely interested me is more, more Coruscant and in the new Republic era, because I come from like, you know, like, a, like the good old expanded universe where like, Mon Mothma and Admiral Akbar literally set up shop in Sheev's former office. And they're just like, yup, this is our desk now. And we're going to give Kyle Katarn orders from <laughs> Sheev's red office because that's like where's put the feet, fish feet up on the desk. Oh my God. This is our spot. And like, I don't know, we see Dr. Pershing in a taxi on Coruscant in this trailer. And uh, that excites me. Did you see the uh, the Disney Plus uh, upload the trailer where it's like Doctor Pershing and like somebody watching like a Star Destroyer be dismantled on Coruscant? Yeah, I saw the Star Destroyer sh- uh, shot. Um, you know, I I didn't realize they were doing that kind of work on Coruscant. I thought that was limited to Calcastus planet, but uh, I don't know where where that is. They can't. Come on, Chris. They, there's too many. Like, there's too many Venators there. There's not enough room. Yeah, I guess so. I will say though, is that like, are we sure it's Coruscant? Are we sure it's not like Hosnian Prime? No, that's exactly the taxi that they ride in Episode One. That's Coruscant. That that, that doesn't mean anything. If you, if you didn't read the Visual Dictionary in 2015, you were convinced that Coruscant got bloated up. If we hadn't just got a whole bunch of awesome Coruscant stuff, I would say it's less likely. I, I don't know because if you go back to your like New Republic like lore. It's all um, like what every five years they change the capital city. Like at one point it was Chandrilla. Like yeah, that's I'm not saying it's not Coruscant. Like it makes sense because like the normies know what that is. But well, it's just, but literally the only reason there's this nonsense about changing the capital every five years is because JJ wanted to blow up Coruscant. Story group said no, so now we have to say that we change the capital every five years. <laughs> That's it's just like okay, except when we don't. Except when we don't. Except for all the important people aren't going to move out of Coruscant because it's awesome. So like, I it's, whatever. It's that's JJ canon that they move the capital every five years until I hear it on a TV show. I don't care. 
death sticks. That's why they moved it. Death sticks. <laughs> they had to make the capital a drug-free school zone. Yeah. Why even bother blowing up all the Sheev statues if you're not going to keep the capital there? <laughs> we so free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, think about that. That's so that that shot of Palpatine's statue being blown up until this. Th- this shot of Pershing in a taxi is the first time we've seen Coruscant since Palpatine's statue was blown up and you hear we so free. You know, what's yeah. going on on Coruscant? That <laughs> interests me in the New Republic era. Because, you know, all we saw of the New Republic so far is like two out of shape X Wing pilots. Okay, wh- an unmanned prison ship. Well, okay, sure. But didn't we, but we, okay, this is where Chris didn't follow us. Like, Resistance, we got to see some, like, New Republic, because that's where we see um, Poe. Way late. I'm talking about, like, good era of Star Wars, New Republic. <laughs> oh, my God. Is this good era of Star Wars? <laughs> like, I feel. I'm As far as the chronology is concerned, I'm talking about the interesting post-Return of the Jedi times before it got all weird. It's like six, seven years after that. Like we're well into like what the hell is Lucasfilm doing? This like, is no zone. because the Mandalorian is like you know sure it's taking a long time to get season three, but like that Mandalorian and, and the book of Boba Fett is our like only like like real post Return of the Jedi content. The sequel trilogy takes place in an alternate universe. It's not post Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I think I figured out who who saves Big Whiskey. Oh, geez. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks. <gasps> Misa gonna save you, little guy. <laughs> he was like, he would have been, he was around. He was a representative. He was there. He's only a few blocks away. Exactly. Go, <laughs> and he scoops up big whiskey and he goes away. Imagine if it's Jimmy Smith's. There's no way. Don't know. He doesn't have time. Yeah, he gets. He has too much episode three on screen action around that moment. If Jimmy Smith wasn't able to do Andor. There's no way they're getting him for this. Jimmy Smith, in in that, I think he was going to pick up Yoda. Jimmy Smith didn't fit in Andor. It wasn't. It wasn't that they they like the, you know they there's too much already going on. They they he. I bet you he'll be in season two. He, wasn't he in the trailer? I don't think so. You're thinking Obi Wan, where he features heavily and it's not very good. No, because I thought I saw him in a scene with Mon Mothma. He's he's not in it. Chris, do you think do you think in Mandalorian season three we'll get Mon Mothma, Chancellor Mon Mothma? I think if we spend enough time on Coruscant, we have to. Do we get digitally de-aged uh, Ultron? Carrie Fisher is like Senator Leia. I don't think so. No. Do we get hedonism droid reconciling with Chancellor Mon Mothma? Absolutely not. And I think you, you might even, by season two, I don't even know if you're going to see her daughter ever again. I think like showing her like meeting that, that guy is like, okay, well, I'm done being a parent now. <laughs> I, I've signed the, the deed over. You know, it's done deals. I don't know. I kind of want to see more of hedonism bot. Like I really just like I really want to see more. He has no good end in his future, so it's like, what's the point? I don't know. Like I know we like, like we didn't really like address his like conclusion in Andor season one, but like I I, I I this is me finding it funny. This is not the, meant to be a strike against the show, but I found it hilarious because like I know like the 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 valet like is listening to them. I'm sorry, chauffeur, and like it's like. He, whatever, I don't even know what his name is. It's like hedonism bot. Like, why are you gambling with my money? He's like, what? Like, I, I, I used to do that, but I don't. He's and she, and she's like, damn it, man. 
that's our money. He's like, what money? I don't have any money. It's like, he keeps going, like it's almost Abbott and Costello. Costello and I don't think he is gambling, yet he still just gives up. He's just like, yeah, I guess I'm gambling. Even though I know, even, even though I know for a fact that I'm not, this conversation's over, I guess. <laughs> but like, again, it's not a jab at the show, but like, it's so comically just like how it's like performed. <laughs> Like I love that so much, and like in like the Genevieve O'Reilly's playing it so straight, like you can't tell if it or maybe it was just the direction of it of the scene, but like you don't know, like it's so convincing, it comes across as farcical, and that's like again, like I love it, and I wish Andor had more of that though, but I want to see the conclusion. I mean, Andor has quite a bit of like Mon Mothma and her husband bickering about nonsense. If I don't know if you watched it, but there's like that's probably twenty percent of the show. I know, and that sequence in like the space like limousine was like the cherry on top for me. I'm just like, okay, this is where we're gonna put a pin in this relationship for the the next three years. I am very happy with the decision that was made. Yeah, I think if they so because season two is supposed to like skip a year every like arc, I guess something like that. Mm -hmm. Like something like that. Yeah, hedonism bought. If we get him at all, he's definitely done by the first arc, like for sure. Does he get like arrested by like the ISB or is he just gonna like just be like he went off to his home planet a la Poochie? Oh yeah, that's a good point. You know, I loved how they set up the stuff with those Republic X-Wing fighter pilots, how they were like how they were like very specifically recruiting Cara Dune for some interesting plot development in season three. Like I can't wait to see that. Oh yeah. So uh, so okay, but speaking of Poochie, <laughs> speaking of Poochie going back <laughs> to his home planet, um <laughs> Okay, Cara Dune. Like, like, is there is she going to be mentioned at all, or is it simply we're just going to ignore her existence? I think they're going to say something like she like joined she joined the Rangers because it's just too awkward to like not address it at all. Like it it, it like because it's not the character's fault that that Disney executive producers are garbage people. <laughs> you're gonna see it. You're gonna see a wide, very wide shot, and a double is going to sit there, turn her head, and wave. And that's it. <laughs> they put Vaseline on the lens. Vaseline on the lens, and she's going to wear a helmet. And she, no one's going to know. Hey, that's character. Hey, how you doing? I think Carl Weathers, who shares many uh, world viewpoints with Gina Carano, will have some line to the Mandalorian about where she is because she's not on Carl Weathers' planet. <laughs> that's what the planet's called. It's like, oh, where's Marshall? Where's Marshall Dune? And he'll be like, yeah, you know, she uh, she got recruited for some such nonsense, even though she was already like part of the rebellion anyways. Before she went AWOL, she got re-recruited. She, <laughs> wouldn't it be great? Like Mandalorian goes up to Carl Weathers and it's like, where's Marshall Dune? She went AWOL <laughs> after the last <laughs> mission. <laughs> Yeah, she finished building the school and she's like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. <laughs> Can we please like, like speaking of like nice like conclusions to a character, like her last major act as a character was banging a space gun against like what the floor of Mock Gideon ship because her laser gun jammed. <laughs> like if there ever was a way for a character to have their last substantive moment in a Star Wars property, like like beautiful, like just like Man, like I, I keep thinking about those those uh, High Republic chalkboard like brainstorming meetings where it says like Star Wars question mark then dinosaurs is circled like ten times on a, 
on the dry erase. Han Solo part. once in a while did fix the Millennium Falcon by smashing it. I don't know. It's just a thing. But that's cute though, because like that's a cute moment because Hans the Millennium Falcon is like practically being held together with chewing gum and paper clips. It's not taking a laser gun because it jams and then just banging it on the floor to the point where other characters bring notice to it and go, Do you need a hand with that? She continues to bang the laser weapon. Okay. Well, anyways, like speaking of the Millennium Falcon, though, this is something I realized. Like oh. I, I was reflecting on our previous conversation about Indiana Jones Five, and it occurred to me that how funny is it that the two leads of Indiana Jones Five are Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon? Oh yeah, how about that? But th- technically, is it really Harrison Ford's Millennium Falcon? He like if you told Harrison Ford that Phoebe Waller Bridge is like mental cortex was ripped out of her and plugged yeah, into the falcon sure. and that's what makes the the interesting like booting sound it makes like would he even know what like at what point into what i just said would harrison ford tell me to go to hell and walk out i'm just telling you he watched that movie for sure and at one are you sure about that oh yeah he watched that movie and at one moment during that movie he realized that she became the lightning falcon he's since forgotten it but it's funny <laughs> They did say that Harrison Ford was doing some de-aging for one of the Disney Plus shows as Han Solo. They did that in, what was it, season two of The Mandalorian, or I think it was in between season two and Book of Boba Fett, and they didn't know where they were going to put him. Well, they clearly they have the files from from Indiana. Think about that. If you're a Lucasfilm and like you're expensing all this stuff, like what better way than to save money for the studio than to like expense it under the probably quarter of a billion dollar budget for Indiana Jones Five and just keep the files, like right? Like if you are going to digitally de-age Harrison Ford, you would want him to look like what he does in that one shot in the trailer. Yeah, right. Because that would be probably the right age for Han Solo at that time. Yeah. 1989 Harrison Ford. That's what I mean. So I would presume that that file is just sitting there collecting dust until they decide to plug it in somewhere. Well, it's very you can like you can hold on to it, but it's very expensive to plug it in. Well, sure, but they have it. I wonder if during Indiana Jones they're like, okay, Harrison, I want you to go in a trailer and put on your Han Solo clothes. We're gonna do this this thing for the Mandalorian season three now, and he comes out and it's the same set. Yeah, that's what they did to they. Yeah, they did something like <laughs> that was not unlike a day Ian McDermott had while filming episode three. They're like, oh, by the way, we're just doing a scene from The Empire Strikes Back today. Like, it's all good. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I don't know. Play it the same. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Can you imagine a Disney gallery thing if they ever did digitally DH Harrison Ford? Like, we're like, they'll like put Mark Hamill into like the monkey suit of like whatever they're making the stunt double wear. And like they'll do all that, and like imagine explaining to Harrison Ford this during the Disney Gallery thing, like just on a complete green screen set, like just twenty feet in the air to just like ground level, just green screen, just different like the terrain topography of it just goes up and down. And it's telling Harrison Ford what it is he's supposed to be doing. Like Deborah Chow's just losing her mind, just being like, yeah. "How many times does he tell her to go to hell?" Well, t- I'll be pretty. I mean, like I'll be genuinely surprised if if uh, if we see a. We see a, a a a second act for Deborah Chow on Star Wars. I really will. Oh man, she could win that DGA award. Oh my God, have you ever lost? Like I've lost faith in institutions before, but not like that. <laughs> oh my God, I guess I don't blame. I don't. Okay, for the record, I do want to say that I don't blame Deborah Chow for Kenobi. 
I do. I don't blame her. Like she, sh- she she's a hired gun the same way the rest of them are at Lucasfilm. She's told to sit there, where to point the camera, the lens she has to use, and just do what it says on the paper. I would allow. I would grant that she has very little creative freedom when she was yeah. working on any of this. Well, I don't know. Maybe they give some people more because the way you're describing the process does not explain Andor's existence. Well, Andor's because there's no there's no weight to that character. Like like. There's more weight than there is to uh, Jake Kenobi in Deborah Chow's <laughs> show. Like, what the heck was that whole thing? Anyways. That's, but that's what I mean, though, is that, like, she they probably, oh, God, plugged the script into, like, an AI program. It's like, give us the best Kenobi show possible. And she was told, do not deviate from this whatsoever, or else we will Gareth Edwards, J.J. Abrams, Benny Offen Wise, your career. Like, we will just, like, crater it. And so, again, she probably was told exactly what she could and could not do with probably at least two or three execs on set at any given time, and they just scrutinize every decision they make. Okay. Now, if you're listening to this, you should do us a solid. And, you know, on YouTube, there's somebody's done a lovely job of uploading a clip on YouTube called the Obi-Wan Kenobi Leia chase scene. And you can just go find that on YouTube and paste it into the comments of every post you see about Deborah Chow's Director's Guild uh, Award. <laughs> and just watch <laughs> the goon walk into a branch as he's chasing Leia around the around the woods, like as if it's the Power Rangers. And then we can all look at it and say collectively, this is the finest we can achieve as a society as, as far as directors are concerned. Because, you know, you may not blame her for this or that, but you can blame her for where the camera was put in some of those shots. And it is appalling. Maybe it was edited bad. Just saying, <laughs> trying to give, trying to not throw probably a someone that was told what to do. I, again, I think I don't know. I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying she's not culpable. Just saying, it's, I don't think it's entirely her fault. And the director's guild nomination is a token way of just saying, "Hey, thanks for being a team player." But I'm telling you, like directing, like you're you're absolutely right. How much can she impact the story? Probably not much, but. Like that scene is like it's shocking. Like you see the branch. I, the whole show is shocking. Like again, I think it's. I think we've all made it loud and clear our thoughts on the Kenobi show. Like it's the like, oh god, it's like the equivalent of like a Taco Bell kids toy meal. Like it, it's not even fun. It's just yeah. sad. That show shouldn't be on any of those lists. There's people who are actually like trying to like make things out there. This is not an example of people trying to make things. Yes, it's Anyways. like it's like when like oh god. <laughs> It's like when Marvel, like when you see like those yeah. weird things and you click on like, oh God, entertainment, like journalism blogs and you'll see like the weird, like for your consideration ads for like Ant-Man, the Wasp. It's just like in what universe? Right. But, you know, it also means, of course, if you want to absolve her of a liability for this, it also means she's not responsible for her decent episodes of The Mandalorian either. So it's like you, people can't have it both ways. You know what I mean? It's like either the like stop giving credit to any of these directors on these shows or like like imagine the person who's actually accountable for the quality of the product being accountable for it. But again, it's not art. It's just like, again, it's like telling the, the guy, the line cook at McDonald's, you did an excellent job today. Like he had no input whatsoever <laughs> on how the burger was made. I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Tony Gilroy had some input, man. He sounds like he did. Hey, hey, that's a good Chipotle. There's a little variation there. Still fast food. It's just a little bit hot. It's okay. Let's put it that way. If Kenobi is uh, McDonald's, then Andor is like Panera bread. It's still fast food. It's just dressed a little differently. Actually, it's more like Five Guys. Exactly. Thank you. 
you have to stay in the same genre of fast food hamburger businesses. I don't know. I trust Tony Gilroy because he's given interviews about Rogue One where he's just like, it was an abject disaster. And I don't know what a Star Wars is, but I got in there and I shaped that thing up. I tell you what. So like, I don't know. I just like, like if he's going to go out there and do interviews like that and there, and the, and the abominable mouse is going to see that and still hire him back. Cause they don't care. Like, Deborah, like, you don't see Deborah Chow going out and be like, oh man, those Kenobi scripts, am I right? They were way better before <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy said that we had to rewrite all of them, but what can you do? That's that's the equivalent of the interviews Tony Gilroy has given about about uh, Rogue One. But Tony Gilroy also is like his own, was his own name before his involvement with Star Wars. Like Deborah Chow, Star Wars is what's given her notoriety, so she can't badmouth it. I thought she had some show before that that she well, was not, pretty not, sure. I, I'm not saying that like this is her first time, but like yeah. this is what got her a director's skill nomination. Oh god! Like you the, know how like, to bite the hand that feeds you. What's the tone of the room? Like, don't industry people understand how baffling that is? Like, did they watch it? Like, I just don't understand. It's the Star Wars. The Directors Guild of America. Meanwhile, this is, you know, the organization that Lucas had to leave just so he could have the beginning of Star Wars the way he wanted it to be. Whatever. <laughs> it's it's all baloney. Don't worry about it. I, okay, one last uh, question, uh, hypothetical question to ask. How is it, I know Chris and I have argued this a lot in the last couple of years. How is it that like numerous drafts of the episode nine, like Colin Trevorrow script leak? Yet that original shooting script for Rogue One has never come out. Uh, well, I think I think it's unremarkable. I think it's not that interesting what what you're going to find there. Is the is the duel of the fate script remarkable? Yes. Really, it's remarkable in terms of like being like different and interesting. What I think what you'd find <laughs> in in Rogue One is like I, oh I'm not saying it, I'm not necessarily saying it should have been made, but like at this point like couldn't couldn't have been worse. But uh, but. The Rogue One, like I saw a very interesting recent interview with Diego Luna, um, with uh, with Christian Harloff, who actually asked him an interesting question specifically about that. He's like, "So, like, what's the deal? Like, what were some crazy Rogue One scenes that we haven't heard about?" And he's like, "We heard rumors that Vader kills all of you guys at the end. Was that a thing at any point?" And Diego Luna says, "The ending, like, and like." I, I, I don't get the feeling he's being purposefully deceptive here, but he might be. But he said the ending was always Jin and Cassian ending up on the beach, getting lit up by the Death Star. So, like, I don't know. How, like, like a couple action set piece changes here or there beforehand, all taking place on Scarif. I don't think it was anything that was going to blow your mind. I Again, I don't think it's an issue of, like, oh, how much different this would be. I'm not saying that. I just mean... How is it that, like, if we're leaking documents, how is it that something like that just hasn't just found its way out the door? And again, it's the same question as, like, we get the episode nine Colin Trevorrow script, what, within three months of of The Rise of Skywalker being released? And yet we're almost, what, 50 years removed from the holiday special, and that still has never leaked in good quality. Like, it's that thing of just, like, again, mysteries are mysteries. We'll, We'll never get answers to some of these things. I, I, think find- I think it's simple. I think it's because uh, Trevorrow uh, was is being sustained by not Disney, and he felt like venting his frustrations with the Star Wars process. And Gareth Edwards played it the opposite way of like, 
well, let's continue playing nice since they're going to keep my name on this film that was taken away from me. And my whole insulated team is not going to just start bad-mouthing the whole process because I'd like to work for these people again, even though it'll probably never happen. Oh, fair enough. I'll take that. I'll take that. that that's, a good, that's, that's a good answer as I'll ever get, so I'll take that. Because Trevorrow just got that sweet Jurassic World. The ball keeps rolling. Even he's saying, well, maybe we should never have made these. That's Trevorrow's <laughs> recent comments on Jurassic World. Okay, okay, not to get too far into that well, because you know I'll never stop once I get started. The first Jurassic World movie is goddamn him saying this shouldn't even exist. That's his entire point of the, 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 the what's his name? Stupid McStupid Pants. The, the guy McFace from Jurassic World is like, they should have never started this again in the first place. And he looks directly into the camera like as he holds up like a Jimmy Buffett, like Margaritaville glass. Like, no, Trevorrow. No, no. I just like the idea of him making movies that he like openly talks about should not exist. It's good. I know he's the same guy who thought like, like the book of Henry was his equi- equivalent of a new hope. Dude's out of his mind, man. Naomi Watts has a sniper rifle and is going to shoot like the town like sheriff. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you like, know, like everybody go up the book of Henry. Go. Like give that dude the DGC uh, nomination. At no, least he, no. at least he like is self-aware. At least he's self-aware that he's making garbage. No, Everybody thinks no. Kenobi is art. <laughs> no, no. You know, you can have, you, you know, you don't have to give anybody the award, right? Like there can be a thing that says like, I'm sorry, none of you are good enough. That's right. We're, we're saying, taking our award home. And, yeah. If it's not Jimmy C, yeah. like you guys are all deluded. So you just go uh, ahead. Exactly. Only Jimmy C is allowed to make crap and call it art. As long as you put that papyrus font on it, no one's going to question it. And there was the, very little papyrus in Avatar 2. Oh. <laughs> there, there's a whale talking it shows up that's enough that it might be the most pretentious thing in like blockbuster cinema in the last like what 20 years it's a whale talking. we're gonna show. save it we're gonna save it there's a whale talking and you, that font shows up okay can we say one thing about avatar real quick while joe is here and we'll get joe's reaction to it like joe you saw the og avatar right yes and like obviously the navi have their own language that's not english there's a point in like what, Chris, the first five minutes of Avatar 2, the direction of Liquid, and we're like, Jake Sully says like, oh, I didn't know this language, but I heard it enough. And like on screen, you see a bunch of the characters talking to him and it has like the Navi like font and like translation of what they're saying. And then he goes in voiceover, he proceeds to say, but after listening to them for so long, it just all started to like blend into English. And then the the subtitles just dissolve away and the characters for the rest of the film start talking in English. <laughs> and it's so like, and this is the thing, and I think Chris is gonna be at least pleasantly amused by this, but like it's so ham-fisted, but like it's that Jimmy C thing of like who painted these like pictures again? Picasso something. Picasso something. He'll never amount to anything. Trust me. It's like like it's so clunky, but it's efficient. First of all, <laughs> first, first of all, everything this. we're gonna save this, but first of all, every word you hear in Star Wars and Star Trek is the exact same concept. You're hearing English because it is convenient for you as the observer to hear English. Oh it's no, not the I, canonical answer. I don't no, no, no. I have no problem with like trust me, I do not want to sit through a three hour blue Navi people movie and have to read subtitles in IMAX high frame rate 3D. I don't knock the decision. The only man crazy enough to ever do it was Mel Gibson, and it's not a well talked about movie in retrospect. I mean it's it was interesting, but it's not one you go back to a lot. 
But that's the thing, though. But like, that's just Jimmy C. Like Jimmy C. Think about it. Jimmy C. Is our last hope of like George Lucas syndrome, a madman with way too much power and clout, just doing whatever he wants with a rather peculiar IP that is partially now owned. Like, not because I would imagine Disney or 20th Century Fox what owns the IP, but like. Jimmy sees the only one who can pull the trigger on creative decisions. Yeah, I I don't know if we'll ever know the the details of that, but the true intricacies of the Avatar Jimmy C contract. Because it was whatever it was probably the whatever contract he had with Fox is, was just guaranteed to be still valid if 20th Century Fox was sold. So yeah. like, I don't know. I think it was in perpetuity when he was signed on for the first one or sequel or something like that. Anyway, it's it's really great, Joe. You should go watch it. It's an actual film. In a dollar theater. Joe, I will give you $2 to watch it to Roosevelt. I will give you two singles, and you can go to the Roosevelt and watch it in the absolute worst quality possible. Ask when you go when you go there, Joe. Ask the projectionist. Will you please invert the polarity on the 3D, <laughs> just so you can truly get the most inferior experience one could possibly ask for? Oh man. You wouldn't survive if you made that. Recording. Exactly, that's the point. <laughs> it's an endurance test. How long you can sustain a migraine? All right. Anything else, gentlemen, about uh, Avatar Two: The Way of Water, or Mandalorian, or the uh, Wild Bunch? You got anything, Joe? No, no. <laughs> I, good. I, I'm pleasantly surprised by the Bad Batch. Look at that. Never thought you'd even watch it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is it's the bar is set very low. <laughs> <laughs> extremely low right now like this is i don't hold anything past them you know after book of boba fett i think all my hopes were dashed <laughs> was that it joe was that book of boba fett really kind of like the uh the nail in the coffin the final one that is like the you know that, that is that is i think the ultimate star wars low point in my existence is the book of boba fett like there's so many bad things that I have nightmares about, <laughs> even to this day. My therapist says I need to. I'd rank Kenobi worse, but fair enough. <laughs> well, Kenobi was was a little bit better than Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> to each their own, yeah. By a smidge, I, I <laughs> it raised the bar <laughs> probably about three millimeters, but that's about it. And and episode three of the Bad Batch season two is like bridge on the River Kwai compared to those two. It's crazy. <laughs> You know, I, the one thing I can say is they, they actually have a clear direction with the Bad Batch. These other shows, besides Andor, they don't. It's like, okay, they're taking it week by week. It's almost like they're watching the dailies and be like, you know what we should do? We should change this part in the next episode. Yeah, we should do that. And that's that seems like they're doing. They're focus testing all of these things before they go out and, and putting them on the air. And they're changing things around because it just doesn't match up. I agree. All right. Well, the big take the big takeaway is Joe liked the race episode. I did. I didn't find that offensive at all. There might be hope for humanity after all. Oh boy, humanity will not will not burn every copy of the Bad Batch. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not making physical copies of these Disney Plus shows, so no one can burn copies. Of them. I was like Futurama with the Star Trek. They used to, they put all the episodes. You got to go to the flea market for your physical copy of these shows. 
Yeah. Oh, God. All right. So conclude this episode of Knights of Vader Star Wars podcast. Check out the Facebook group. Type in Knights of Vader on Facebook and you will find us there waiting for you. Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. Harass Chris. If you like what you hear, please rate and review. Subscribe to us on Spotify or iTunes. Always appreciate some uh, reviews and ratings to boost us in the algorithm. Thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for finding our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, you can contact me on the good old Instagram or the Twitter at Rogue Knight and at Cinemalities, respectively. And Chris, when you are not dragging us into Star Wars Podcast Day, what are you up to? You can find me at the Chris Porteous on Instagram, and like Zach said, check out at Kob Podcast on Instagram. And uh, you know, it, it will will be participating in the the uh, theoretical Star Wars Podcast Day, which takes place on February seventh. Which means that I'll have to get this edited before that. So uh, that's fun. So you might get two episodes real close together. So you can look forward to that. And Joe, what is up on the good old Wheel of Combo? Wheel of Convo is finishing up the wheel. We got two spots left. We just picked our last one, which is going to be toys and video games. So we're going to be taping that hopefully soon. But with football postseason in effect, we're going to try and get that done and out of the way. And then we're possibly going to be, after our last show, going to have a live show where we discuss what we're going to put on the new wheel. So that should be great. Going live. Hooray cool beans alrighty folks good night but not goodbye and as always may the force be with you <laughs> <laughs>